Okay. All right. All right. All right. This is this is take number eight. Serious. All right. What's up? Welcome to the third episode of the Carver Johnny Podcast. I'm Johnny Carver. This episode is brought to you by at underscore Merlin, Ethan Merlin on Twitter. I will have him on the podcast as soon as I figure out how to hook up a phone call to a podcast. Nobody reached out and told me how to do that, and YouTube hasn't been as helpful as I'd like. It's making me purchase new stuff, and I don't really want to do that. But if you know an easier way of hooking up phone calls to a podcast, please let me know. I'm terrible at making podcasts, as you could probably tell last week and right now. But thank you to over 100 people who listened and downloaded to the Carver Johnny podcast last week. It was way more than I expected. Please subscribe to iTunes Podcasts and or listen to us on SoundCloud. Do you all want this on other platforms? Let me know. My Twitter is at Carver Johnny. If you want to know more about me, go listen to episode number two. There is no episode number one. I received lots of feedback. One of the positives is that Kyle and I sounded awesome. So shout out to Ethan Merlin for the microphone. Sound very professional. But a lot of people said it was too long, longer than most movies. So I want to change that. Sorry for having to wait a week and a half for a new episode, but I'm a law student. We're going to make it shorter and roll right into the first segment. All right. After that flawless intro, we've got Kyle Mastelloni. What's your Twitter again? At K Mastelloni. All right. Flawless intro. Now we're going into headlines. Let's do it. How, how many takes did you do of the intro, first of all? Eight. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty funny. All right. Let's do it. All right, so first headline, we're doing it sport by sport this week. So we're going to start off with college basketball. And ever since they lost Zion Williamson, Duke has been on kind of a slump. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle not having Zion Williamson if this continues. I mean, they've lost at least one-third of their scoring, if not more. Um, he's a tremendous part of their rebounding. He is obviously a focal point in their offense, big part of their transition game. I mean, they're a totally different team identity-wise without Zion Williamson, who is, by all accounts, the best player in the country. I still would vote him player of the year. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with him. I, I saw, um, obviously, he didn't play the, the Miami and Wake Forest games, which makes sense. Yeah, let's not talk about the Miami game. But they hung in. W- Wake, Wake Forest, Wake Forest hung, hung in. in. Yeah, Wake Forest hung in with them. So that was interesting. Um, we'll see kind of how that goes. Um, what, when do you think he comes back? I think he comes back for the UNC game. I honestly do. I wouldn't be surprised just because he wasn't able to play the first Duke UNC game. I could see that being important to him. It would make more sense for them in the long run to wait at least until the ACC tournament. Cause that will give him a little more rest because they're going to have that buy. They're going to have a double buy. They're yeah. going to have a double buy. That's right. Cause the ACC has like a hundred teams. So, I think that if they wanted to give him maximum rest, if this injury is a real issue, then I think holding him out of the UNC game makes a lot of sense just because there's really not much they're playing for. So next we're going to talk about some of the crazy teams that are ranked in the top 25. So actually Wofford, UCF, and Buffalo are all in the top 25 this week. Okay, two of those are crazy. One of them's legit. Buffalo has been legit all season. Have you watched Buffalo? They have. I watched them against. I watched them when they played Syracuse. Okay, yes. Buffalo is legit. Like I love their intensity, love their defense. They handled Arizona really well in the tournament last year. When I watched that yeah. game last year, I was like, okay, there are real upsets with double-digit teams where it's just you know team goes off shooting, doesn't make any sense. That one made sense. They outplayed Arizona in they every did. facet of the game. And I believe they brought most of their guys back this season. I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they brought most everybody back. So 
yeah, it makes perfect sense that they would be a ranked team. I think they're going to be a, a team to not to be messed with in the NCAA tournament, which is going to be interesting because I think they're ranked like somewhere between 16 and 20. So they're going to be, gosh, a four or a five seed. All right. So next is probably Johnny's favorite topic. He was uh, he was actually wrong about this prediction of KU continuing their their streak of winning the regular season Big 12 title. They lost by almost 30 to Texas Tech and lost the Big 12. They lost the Big 12 yesterday, which we're, we're filming this. We should probably tell them when. Wednesday, what's today? Wednesday, March 7th? 6th. March 6th. Okay, so it's Wednesday, March 6th. And yesterday, as we're recording this, KU lost to Oklahoma and lost the Big 12 for the first time in 14 years. They won 14 straight. So actually be the first time in 15 years. So 15 years ago, I was in grade school. Where were you? What were you doing back in 2004? 2004, I was in second grade. Means I would have been in fourth. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Actually, I would have been in third grade. Am I only a grade above you? Well, you, you skipped the year because you graduated early. In college, so, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah, so I was in third grade. That's amazing. They've won the, they've won the Big 12 every single year since then. Wow. It's really impressive. I mean, honestly, like, if you just go back and look at the different teams that Bill Self had, the Big 12 has been one of the strongest conferences in college basketball. This is one of the most impressive streaks I've ever seen in sports in my lifetime. And I believe that we should give a lot of credit to Bill Self for what he's been able to pull off. I mean, there were multiple years that you looked at it and said that this streak cannot continue. I go back to 2012, the year that they made the national championship. That was supposed to be a down year where a lot of people picked KU to be in like the bottom half of the Big 12 and they end up winning the whole league. I mean, it's amazing. So um, props to them. I was wrong. I thought that they would come back and win the conference, but then again, I didn't expect them to lose their three best players. So I will, uh, I'll kind of be a little easy on myself there. But if you want to give me trouble on it, uh, you can definitely tweet at me at Carver Johnny. Uh, you can also send me uh, hurtful messages on DMs. All right, continue. Yeah, and I was also actually surprised surprised that they were even still in it after losing Azubuki. They, listen, they scrap. Like, I actually like this team a lot this year, and I might still pick them to, to make some noise in the tournament. So next we got a Nevada player after a game last week. After a court storming, decided to go and break glass and look like he flipped out. All right. So this is against the Utah State game. First of all, you said he decided to break the glass. Like, imagine you're really angry. You don't, like, walk into that hallway and go, I see that fire extinguisher right there. I'm going to walk all the way down there, and I'm going to break it. It wasn't a decision. Uh, I'm sorry. Wrong choice of words there. I just think it's funny. Anyway, so Utah State storms the court. I believe what they were angry at was the things that the Utah State assistant coach had been saying to them, if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, so I don't know what he said. It was reported that it wasn't racial related, but he kept saying, let me get my one punch in. I don't know what happened. I don't know what was said. I just know that there were a lot of emotions running high. There's nothing like emotion in sports. I kind of liked it. I'm just going to be honest. I, I just loved the the raw emotion of it. And, uh, you know, I don't know. There's certain situations where you can say, like, you know, he said, let me get my one punch in. That was one of the things he said. Like, yeah, there, there's certain situations in life, and we're not going to go in into those details, but, like, where you should probably deserve to get one punch in. And I'm not advocating violence in any way. I'm really not. And I'm not saying that you should have punched that coach. But 
something must have been said. And for his coaches to defend him in the way that he did, it must have been bad. Yeah, so so next we got one one quick college football topic. So for the for the 150th anniversary of college football this year, we might actually get a featured week zero game as it came out that they might be pushing the Miami UF game up one week pending NCAA approval, which means that they would get an extra bye week, number one. And number two, they already started selling tickets, so it's going to turn a bit dicey with the fans. Dicey with you because you bought tickets. Well, yeah. Yeah, that, that's why you're mad about this. Yeah, pretty much. Also, why is there a week zero? It's week one. Like, if there's a game playing, it's week one. It's not week zero. You're right. They need to. But... They need to like change the. It was like. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have a comparison. I don't know why I just said that. I was thinking it was like the NCAA tournament, but then I realized that I like them calling it the first round after those uh, those bye games. So. So also, what do you think about both teams having an extra bye week? That's <laughs> that's something we haven't really talked about. It kind of just came into my mind as well. Because they have. They'll have week one off, yeah. Oh, so for the is this for the ACC specifically, or is this for the entire NCAA? No, I'm saying Miami and Florida will have one extra bye week. Well, that's great for them. Think about it. They play week zero, then they don't play week one. Oh, that's right. I guess that would be like a de facto bye week. But yeah. you know, having to bang against Florida instead of you know, for example, Arkansas, we would play Norfolk State or something. You know, the first week of the season. There's a big difference. I mean, think about it in the NFL. They need four preseason games to, quote-unquote, get into the rhythm of the season, right? But then in college, you got to go bang around against Alabama and Florida and all these big schools. And you're an 18-year-old kid. If you're a starting freshman, your first exposure to college football is on a national stage in August against one of the top programs in the country. That's tough. All right, so next we get into NFL. A lot actually happened in the NFL this week, even though it's a— even though it's the off season, so Nick Foles to the Jags. What do you think about that? I think they shouldn't have signed Blake Bortles to a large contract. Like, where was the market for that? Like, didn't they give him nearly a hundred million dollars? Yeah, that was a terrible idea. I I just I've never understood this. So could they, okay, so college programs do this all the time with coaches, where they just give these extensions without there being a market to do so. Why do you give extensions to people? in sports, particularly players, when there's no market otherwise. Like, I understand certain situations where you want to preserve, you know, team camaraderie, things like that, but with Blake Bortles, I mean, what market was there for him? All right, so the Combine the combine was this weekend or last weekend? And Kyler Murray measured in at 5'10 and 1'8". That was a, a bit taller than I thought he was. Yeah, that was a bit taller than a lot of people thought. I thought he was going to come in at around 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, yeah, that's a big difference. 5'10", is doable. 5'10", you can see over the line. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I think that's going to be a big difference for him. I think that that seals him being a top quarterback in this draft class, I would imagine. It, it seems like that's the case, correct? Yeah, I can't believe it. It seems like the, Car- the Cardinals drafting him is like a done deal. Yeah, so apparently, from what I've heard that, um, you know, I just, I've heard this from other sports media personalities, is that the building is split on Josh Rosen. And so I guess they want to give this another try. Um, when you have the number one pick, I mean, if they really believe in this guy, I guess you got to go get your quarterback. Um, 
a lot of times you trade away future first round picks for the quarterback that you want. You just view it that way, but in a you know in a reverse position, if you end up uh, having to give up Josh Rosen and you don't get back you know quite what you gave up for him, which was a top ten pick, you know that's um, it's unfortunate, but at least you'll have your quarterback. There's nothing more important in the world when you're an NFL team than having a quarterback. It just changes everything. Trust me, I'm a Chiefs fan. So DJ Metcalf from Old Miss was the story of the combine, a wide receiver. He, he measured in at 6'3", 6'3 and 3 eighths, 228, with 1.6% body fat and a 4'3", <laughs> Ridiculous. What does... Is that even possible? 1.6% body fat? Like, I saw a picture. If it's possible, it's him. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. He has no body fat. Like, has that guy never eaten McDonald's? Probably not. I... I don't understand how you get 1.6%. I talk about red flags all the time. That could that's like the most green flag possible. That not just the fact that he has 1.6 body percent body fat. Like not just the physical specimen that he is. And we can get into the numbers. He had a 4.33, uh, I believe it was his was his 40 time. Yeah. yeah, everything except lateral agility, he's amazing, which as a wide receiver that might be a big deal. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects him, but um, yeah, he can't seem to change direction. Yeah, but everything else he's amazing at, right? Like, I think it's more important than that. It's the fact that, like, he has the discipline to keep himself at that low of a body fat. I mean, that that's like only boiled chicken and rice. So next up, Jason Witten came out of retirement, left his Monday night football job to go back and play for the Cowboys again. You know who won this? ESPN. Yep, and the viewers. It's a rough one for him. Yeah, just wasn't uh, wasn't a natural fit for the booth. But yeah, but you know what? It's hard. Podcasting is hard. I've struggled through this whole entire segment. Like, yeah, imagine if imagine if like twenty million people were watching us. I mean, first of all, I wouldn't even care. I mean, I would. I'd probably be the exact same. But then again, I'd probably have an actual script instead of just sitting on a couch with my feet up talking to you about sports without any notes. Um, but anyway, you know, look, I don't know how easy it is to leave the sport of football for a year, but all I know is it's got to be hard to get that first hit again. I think Chris Carter was talking about this because he actually left the game and then came back. And he was like, man, that first hit stings because you're not used to getting hit like that. And when you're a tight end running cross routes, man, you're getting hit by grown men and you've been out of the game for a year. If I retired, I would start eating horribly because you've been spending all these years trying to look fit and be fit and be in shape. I would have lost that body in a year. There'd be no way I could come back. Unless you're a lineman because then you would probably go the other way. Right, right, right. That makes sense. But, I mean, if I'm a tight end especially, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to eat cheeseburgers for a full year. I'd be on vacation. I'd be, oh, yeah, I wouldn't go into the broadcast booth like he did. But, anyway, you know, it's going to be tough for him to go back into you know, running routes. I don't think the, the, the part of, you know, studying the film again and getting back into the offense is going to be hard at all. But just taking a hit again when you haven't in over a year – that's got to be tough. So we'll see how that he handles it. This is going to be an interesting case because if he can handle this, then you're going to see other players do this as well. All right, so we know Antonio Brown demanded a trade. He's calling out everybody, and 
where do you think a potential landing spot for him is? I'm thinking Oakland. Let's first talk about Antonio Brown right now. I am scared crapless if I'm a team. Yeah, the first moment I knew that there was a problem was when he came out with that, like, blonde mustache. Like, I'm actually being dead serious. Like, that is a strange fashion statement. And it just, like, didn't make any sense whatsoever. And I'm like, something's just, like, not right here. And I'm just, I don't know where his mind's at right now. He got, he got criticized by Larry Fitzgerald, who never talks about other players. And he's one of those guys that when he talks, you listen. It's like, I was talking about this on Twitter. I was like, in the NBA, who's the version of that? Dirk Nowitzki. Like, imagine if, if Dirk Nowitzki said something about you. You'd probably pause. You'd be like, oh, well, I might be wrong here. Like Jared Dudley, Udonis Haslam. Look, he's calling out his quarterback, his former quarterback, or I guess current quarterback. Current quarterback. Yeah, he's been traded. Right. So, um, you know, if you continuously complain about your entire situation, maybe it's you. But but regardless, it doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of filter on him right now. And uh, he's just, you know, throwing words out there and burning a lot of bridges. He's not traded yet. So I know that they said that they'll trade him, but I don't understand burning this bridge before you leave. It's it's hard to get traded in the NFL. It's hard to get a deal done because you can't trade cash. So it has to be asset for asset. And that's really difficult. So it's hard to get deals done, especially for a guy that's got a lot of guaranteed money and has said publicly that he wants more guaranteed money. He makes a lot of football sense. Listen, for the Kansas City Chiefs, Okay, aye, the, aye, Chiefs, aye. the Chiefs have been trying to draft the mold of Antonio Brown for years. Their GM, Veach, he's been wanting an Antonio Brown for a long time. So getting the real thing would be amazing for him. And there's, like, no amount of assets that they could give up that, other than, you know, like, major assets on their offense, that would give me pause from a football perspective of picking up a guy like that. He's a head case, though. You want him in your locker room? Oh, with with Patrick Mahomes and... and oh, yeah. Yeah, they can handle it. Andy Reid likes to take on risks. Do I think this is going to happen? Absolutely not. Would the Steelers trade him to the Chiefs? No, of course they wouldn't. I'm just dreaming over here. But in a realistic situation, I think that, uh, you know, the 49ers said they're not going to pursue him. Um, the Raiders makes a lot of sense. They've got the, the patience. I mean, who's scared there? John Gruden's got a 10-year contract. He's not going anywhere. So they can they can try it. I think he is right in a lot of situations where, you know, he's not getting thrown the right ball. But it's hard to find a good quarterback in this league, and he had a Hall of Famer with him. So, um, you know, just, just simply from an on-the-field standpoint, it makes sense for a lot of teams. But off the field, I don't know what, uh, what information they have, but I've got that blonde mustache, and that scares me a little bit. And what do you think Pittsburgh is going to get for him? I have no idea. I don't even have, any, I don't even have a guess because I don't have the access to the kind of information. I was reading. I, w- I was reading today that that they actually lowered their asking price down from a first plus more assets to just a first. Oh, that's worth it. Amari Cooper got you first. Yeah, that's that's worth it. I, if that's the asking price, man. I, Oakland's got the first to give. If I were the Chiefs, I'd give him two first. That's just me. I just, I just want all the, I want all the wide receivers in the world for, uh, for Patrick Mahomes and just 
defense can fend for itself. We'll outscore you. Score 60 points a game. All right, what else we got? And I swear to God, you put these you put these two topics just to piss me off. Yeah. Odell Beckham is not getting traded. This happened last year. Look what happened. He stayed put. Listen, listen. He is the most tradable asset on a rebuilding team. It would make so much sense for them to clear the space, start a new era. Who's throwing to him? We could draft a quarterback. All right. You want to build a team around Odo, Be- Odo Beckham Jr., you do it. We have other weapons, too. Obviously, we need an offensive line, but we also need a quarterback, which you said, as you said, the most important position. And I know the other thing that I put on there was Eli Manning starting at quarterback next year. And you would expect me, based on our conversations previously, to say that I think it's ridiculous for him to start next year. I have been adamant that Eli Manning should not have been starting the last two seasons. I am perfectly fine with him starting next year if you are saying it is definitely his last year and there's a quarterback behind him that is being sat and taught and, you know, basically getting the Aaron Rodgers slash Patrick Mahomes treatment. Well, well, I mean, it is the last year on his contract and the Giants, there's rumors that they did say that they want to pursue the Kansas City method of having a quarterback sit behind Eli for one year. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. No, it definitely makes a lot of sense. You're probably your favorite topic. Andy Reid said that the Chiefs don't consider the QB a concern for this draft. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who is their backup? I, look, I'm a big Chiefs fan, and I'm pretty sure... Okay, I, I know this one. All I know is he has like a 65 overall on, on Madden. It, like, it's not good. Because obviously it's not a concern. I'm looking up their backup right now. It's Chad Henney. Chad Henney. That's who it was. It's a good backup. Yeah, they definitely don't need a quarterback. <laughs> all right, what else he got? All right, so up next we're going into NBA, what you all probably tuned in to hear Johnny talk about. Um, first, we're going to set it up with a big story here in Miami last week, and that was Dwayne Wade throwing it back with a crazy game winner. Throwing it back? Yeah, I mean, I've never seen him do that. That was amazing. That was a lucky shot. It was be real, but it was such a cool moment. That was oh, it touched my heart. It was great. It was. It reminded me a lot, and it reminded him a lot. He talked about it of the the Kobe Bryant shot, um, where he was fading away over Dwayne Wade and banked it in. Um, but look, props for Dwayne Wade having the awareness to get his foot behind the three point line before the shot. I don't know if he did that on purpose or not, but if he did, props to him for figuring that out. Um, but otherwise, it, it looked like a pretty lucky shot. But look. You create your own luck. He hustled after that ball. Um, you know, it didn't seem like the Warriors really wanted to, uh, you know, stop that possession. That The ball was available there for a couple seconds. It didn't seem like they were swiping at it, but Dwayne Wade wanted that ball. I mean, he wanted to get another shot up. So uh, props to him. Uh, it was a great legacy moment for him. It'll be one of the moments I remember from his entire career, which is amazing to say about Hall of Famer like him. Top 25 player of all time, and I'm not going to hear anything otherwise. Yeah, and he had that he had the jump on the scoring table moment. I always love when guys jump on the scorer's table. He okay, so he forgot to say this is my house. And that really made me mad because that is like his signature thing. He should have said it's his house. Because this is his house. This is really interesting. So when Dwayne Wade got traded back for a second round pick, I was in class and like there was just an audible gasp, and you could just hear people talking behind me you know like that we're all looking at their phones and these were sports fans and non-sports fans and our teacher even mentioned it that's how big of a deal he is in Miami 
Like, people knew about it that weren't even sports fans. It was really one of the only times the whole year that at law school, it seemed like everybody wanted to talk about sports. I saw a kid crying tears of joy about it. Yeah, and you saw the you saw the Miami Heat jerseys, the the old Dwayne Wade jerseys come right back the next day. I even saw them before then, but like, I mean, the next day it was pretty ridiculous, like how many I saw. He is a really, really, really big deal in South Florida in a way that I've rarely seen in any city. Kobe Bryant in Los Angeles, Derek Jeter in New York, Dwayne Wade in Miami. It's it's that big of a deal. Would you put Jordan in Chicago up there yes. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, so you got, well, and obviously LeBron in Cleveland, I think, is like a whole other yeah. level. But anyway, continue. All right, so so Eric Bledsoe signed an extension with the Bucks for four years, seventy million. Good for them for getting it done. I think that you know I heard somewhere, I think it was on Bill Simmons' podcast. Him and Ryan Rosillo were saying that he probably could have gotten like four years, ninety million on the open market. I would believe that. I mean, there's going to be a big cap spike. Not a cap spike. Let me let me. It's not a cap spike because I think that that's the way that people will be able to conceptualize it, but it's not like there's going to be more cap room. There's going to be more cap space because all those deals from the 2016 cap spike are going to be completed, and now all these teams are going to have a lot of space to work with. And teams are going to be a little more conservative with their space than they were the last time. And I was really critical of teams at the time of spending all this money because they'd say, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, $70 million now is like— 35 million three years ago. It's like, okay, I have a problem with the four years, you know, like locking guys into too many seasons. In this case, you're trying to build a team around Giannis. They don't have a lot of cap space to work with. They're not going to have a lot of cap space to work with. They basically traded for him on a year and a quarter deal last year. I believe at the deadline might've been a year and a half, um, you know, from the Phoenix suns. And, he didn't have a great postseason, but he's playing great this season. You know, obviously they're doing really well this year. Um, you know, put keeping that team in place for Giannis is really important because it seems like Giannis is not interested in anything outside of basketball. Like I saw a video of him handling TMZ really well. Like they were asking him all these questions and and uh, in the LA streets, and it looked like he was just, you know, I'm just focused on basketball. Like he just doesn't seem to be at that point where he wants to explore a whole lot of opportunities outside of being a really good basketball player. And so if you've got a guy like that, you want to surround him with as much talent as possible. And I don't think he's concerned about Milwaukee being a small market. I think that he just wants to play for the best basketball situation he can. And I think adding Eric Bledsoe for somewhat of a discount, $70 million, I think that's probably around $20 million under market. I think it's great for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think it makes a lot of sense for Eric Bledsoe too. He gets to continue to play for a contender instead of going to a team with a lot of cap space and not a lot of promise. So um, I, I think this will work really well uh, for both teams, and it'll be interesting to see if he can stay healthy throughout that deal. But for right now, this makes a lot of sense. The Lakers are collapsing right now. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Do you, do you think this is the good time to talk about this? I, I, yeah, this, I think this is, this is the right time to, to talk about this. This is the right time. Okay, you start. What do you think? It's a mess. It is a big big mess all right so if we were going to rank blame on on this whole situation where would you rank it who who is to blame the most i think actually lebron is to blame the most okay so i agree with this why do you say i i think because he's fracturing the locker room he's constantly blaming his teammates he's saying that they don't have their mind on basketball but when you look he was out filming a rap album or 
taping a rap album, recording, that's the word, the day before the Warriors game, and then he was the one that sat out for load management the next night. So Yeah, so it's, it's not exactly what he said, but but it is the, the idea. So one thing he said is that, like, you need to keep your mind on basketball. You want to make sure your mind is on basketball, something along those and lines. And he's off right? doing 50,000 other things. So I don't have a problem with him exploring things outside of basketball. I talked about this on Twitter. What I have a problem with is speaking on distractions when you yourself are not being, you know, following your, your words. I mean, your words need to match your actions and it just doesn't seem like that's happening right now. And I think the biggest problem I've had with him this season is like, for example, when he said, uh, I'm locking into playoff mode. Well, playoff mode over the last eight years has been his zero dark 30, 23 or whatever he calls it, which he should just, it should just be zero dark 23. I don't know why he uses both numbers, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, it, you know, he would turn off his social media, which he hasn't done. Instead, he's posting about his accomplishments, which I think I've not seen one person <laughs> not criticize that. Everybody knows that after a loss, you don't talk about the fact that you made the top 10 in multiple scoring categories. Yeah. Um, you know, but anyway, you know, if he's going to be in playoff mode, do it the way that has worked for you for the past eight years, almost an entire decade of making the finals for eight years in a row. Like, Turn off your social media, lock completely in, be a vocal leader in the locker room, follow that leadership, and most of all, play playoff defense. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people have seen the videos, and without context, they look a lot worse than they are. What doesn't bother me is, is it, it doesn't bother me as much the missed assignments. It's, you know, he doesn't slide over, and a basket's made, and then he blames his teammates. Like, that's what bothers me, is is the body language after he misses the assignment. That's what bothers me more than anything. Because his stat lines, I mean, this is how great he is. His stat lines still look great, but he's playing horrific defense in, in, in long stretches. And you'll look at these highlight tapes that are all over social media of him just completely missing assignments. Guys going back door on him. Guys running into dunk. He doesn't even stop him. There was a play that I thought was really interesting. It was like the first play of the game. Kyle Kuzma's guy, I think, went like backdoor or something, and, and he needed help, and LeBron didn't step in and help. And Kyle Kuzma actually yelled at LeBron. The next play, LeBron steps in and takes a charge. That was a big play, because I don't think LeBron's used to having guys say anything to him like that. I was actually just going to mention that. Was it the same play you're talking about when it looked like Kuzma pushed him? No, it was. It, this was actually a couple weeks ago, but I, I did see that play as well. Um, but you know, this it, that was a really interesting play because it, like LeBron responded positively to that, and you just need to see more of that from him. If he's going to say that he's in playoff mode, if he's going to talk about the importance of making the playoffs, if he earlier in the year is going to say that you know my patience is going to run thin, if you're going to say all those things, you need to walk the walk. You need to lead by example, and I think LeBron has done a really poor job of that. And to say anything less, I think, is is disingenuous. And so that isn't an indictment on him as a leader in general. That's not an indictment on him uh, as a father or as a player or as a community leader. Um, you know, like, people just take it so harshly when I say LeBron has been a poor leader this season. I think that he'll look back at this and say, I could have improved as a leader. You know, it would just be interesting to see how he handles the rest of the season if he decides to rest if you know they um you know there's no more playoff hopes for them we'll see i don't know
All right, so next we have the Celtics collapse, and Kyrie Irving saying next question when he was asked about the confidence le- its confidence level in the Celtics. So this is two part. So I'm gonna start with the Kyrie the, the Kyrie stuff. They better be concerned about Kyrie, and this is another thing about you know having your actions match your words. I don't care about player mobility. I don't care about them leaving, but don't tell a crowd that you're gonna resign and then and then later in the season say ask me July one. Like, pick one or the other. I, I just, that bothers me. Just be consistent with your words. That's the only thing that, like, I, I don't care where you play, where you go. I don't believe there's anything, you know, the, it's a business, so there's there's no such thing as loyalty. I totally understand if, if he wants to go somewhere else. And I understand him changing his mind, but I think these players need to take a lesson from this. Don't be telling cities that you're going to resign and not resign or even give the impression that you're not going to resign in the future. Like once you say that, you really need to back that up because it means a lot to these fans, and and fans do matter. I I really believe that that you know your fan base is important. I don't know. That's my thought on him. Um, so they should be worried about him because his I mean his body language is bad. He had a tirade on the um on the bench. Doesn't seem like they're very receptive to his leadership. Um, I think there's like a five percent chance he stays. Yeah, I don't think it's a very good chance that he stays. Um, but I don't know anything about it. I don't think even Kyrie knows, to be completely honest with you. I don't think he's made that decision. I just think that he um, doesn't think about things in the long term like that. He's just a different kind of dude, and that's fine. Um, my whole point was just that I-, I wish he wouldn't have said that to the Boston crowd if he didn't mean it. And, you know, look, he might come back and everything's fine. But even so, I mean, putting him in this whirlwind where they don't know after saying that he's going to come back— puts the organization in a tough position to build around him and it puts um you know I, I just puts everything in, in, in a really tough situation especially for fans too um but anyway from the team's perspective look they've got a lot of guys you can only distribute was it 210 minutes in a game it's hard to do that when you have 13 really good nba players on your roster obviously when you have two players come back on max deals you had Kyrie come back and gordon hayward who was coming back from a horrific injury and he's making 30 million a year you got to redistribute those minutes. I mean, last year, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were your two leading scorers, basically, uh, along with Al Horford, um, getting major minutes. And now you've got a completely di- different dynamic for this team. So, you know, there's guys like Simi Ojale, who were barely getting any minutes, who should be getting major minutes. I mean, he was scoring 20-plus points in games last year, and, and I think in points this year, too. I mean, it's just a weird team. Um perhaps they should have traded Terry Rozier just to kind of clean the slate for them, addition by subtraction, just not to have so much clutter and have more guys that you need to throw minutes into. But I still have a belief that they're going to figure this out in the playoffs. Once you get into a playoff series, all the noise kind of stops, and you're focused in on winning four games in a series, and they're going to be more talented than any other team in the Eastern Conference top to bottom. So... I still have faith that they're going to win the Eastern Conference. I'm on that island really? by himself. I'm on I'm on that island by myself, and I'm ready for Twitter to come at me. At Over Toronto or Milwaukee? Yes, yes, I believe. I still believe. If I had to look, if I had to pick Boston or the field, I would pick the field. If I had to pick one particular team to win the East, I would pick Boston. Does that make any sense? All right. So moving on, let's talk about the MVP race a little bit. I don't think there's a whole lot to say about this. Has this really been figured out yet? Like. There's two totally different viewpoints on this. So you've got James Harden carried his team, 36 points per game. Team hasn't been winning nearly as much, but it makes sense because guys have been injured. Then you've got Giannis winning team, 
amazing stat line, not as much scoring, a little more rebounding. It reminds so James Harden's stat line reminds me a lot of Kobe Bryant in 2005, 05-06, the year that he had the the 81 point game. And the team made the playoffs and back then team wins and losses were more important to the MVP conversation than they are now. Like for example, you saw uh Russell Westbrook won the MVP and his team was like a 6 seed, but you know, he averaged a triple double so we gave him the MVP, right? Like I think it's an individualistic award. I think it should be given to the best player in one isolated year. I think that it fits James Harden having 35 points per game, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think at one point it was like 36 points per game. I think Kobe Bryant should have had the MVP in 05-06 for the exact same reason. I thought his scoring performance was absolutely ridiculous that year, but he didn't even get that many votes that year. I mean, he went on like a four-game stretch of 50-plus points. That's an MVP to me, especially when you make the playoffs. So... The Rockets are going to make the playoffs. James Harden has carried that team with with injuries. It's the same way I felt about Kobe in, in 2006, and I'll stand by it. I feel that exact same way about James Harden in this situation. I, look, Giannis is going to win an MVP someday, but to come back from an MVP season and do what, what James Harden is doing now, he's obviously having a better season than he had last year when he won the MVP. You've got to give it to him. Yeah, agreed. All right, so there was a really special moment for Dirk in in L.A. with the Clippers. Yes. They gave him a standing ovation. I loved it. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Doc Rivers getting on the microphone. I've never seen anything like that, and it seemed to really touch Dirk. That was a really cool moment. He'll, he'll never forget that. Also, it's kind of interesting that Paul Pierce was on his own team, and he never did that, even though he coached Paul Pierce to an NBA championship with another team. And <laughs> Paul Pierce was the MVP of that finals. And that never happened. It's kind of interesting. Just, I don't know, just an interesting tidbit. What else you got? And and also, just another thing on that, is Dirk really considering one more year? He could barely move out there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Look, if he's if he's going to be like a vocal leader, I guess. It might be like Jawan Howard. Remember when Jawan Howard, like that second Heat championship year, it was like, he's a player. Now he's suiting up, but he's not playing. Oh, he's got a suit on. Oh, he's actually an assistant coach. <laughs> like, like I feel like it's going to be like that. Like, just this gradual move down the bench to where, like, he's getting, like, oh, he's only getting, like, five minutes a game. Oh, he's only getting one minute a game. Oh, he's not playing, but, you know, he's still on the bench. And then they just, like, stop putting him in uniform. And then all of a sudden, he's got a suit on. And it's like, okay, you might as well just, like, give him an assistant coach position because he's not a player anymore. All right, so Landry Shamit hit six threes in the first quarter. Woo! Okay, he finished the game with only seven threes, and I'm mad at him for this. So people that don't know, I actually played with Landry Shamit for a small while. He was he was a teammate, and I played against him uh, throughout my life. And I'm really proud of Landry Shamit. I mean, an amazing progression for him. But, I mean, man, if you've got six threes in the first quarter, fire away. So next, you're going to take this one because I actually haven't heard it yet. So Adam Silver made some comments about unhappy players in our generation and how they're isolated. Yeah. So at the Sloan conference, he did a panel with Bill Simmons, which I think will be turned into a podcast this week. And uh, he answered a question about why players are so many players, especially stars are unhappy in their current situations. And he was talking about the social media age and how it's changed to where, like, in the 80s and 90s, you know, he said Isaiah Thomas said that championships are won on the bus. You know, guys building camaraderie and all that kind of stuff. And now 
guys have their headphones on and they're just listening to music and they're just on to the next place. And it's like they've basically just like traveled in a portal from one place to the other. Guys used to play cards on the planes. Guys used to, you know, do all sorts of stuff together. And now it's like they're so isolated and alone. And it's just so much different. They're more detached. They have a lot more. I mean, look, I know that they make more money than they've ever made, but there's a lot of things that come with that. These guys are young. And, you know, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean that issues, whether it be with mental health, depression, or just general unhappiness, don't exist. I mean, there's no amount of money in, in the world that can buy happiness, and I genuinely believe that. And I think that these young guys that come from different backgrounds, you know, all of a sudden they come into all this money. They have different expectations from their own families on, you know, having to provide for a bunch of people and they're always playing for the next contract. And even when they have the best contract, then all of a sudden the media is completely, you know, just totally after them and they're criticized for every part of their lives. They have to control a personal brand. Everything's on video. Just a lot that they have to deal with. And I can totally understand people being unhappy when, you know, another thing is too, like back in the old days, you didn't have a whole lot of control on where you could live. So you had to just deal with it. You know, you were stuck in Chicago. You were stuck in Milwaukee. You were stuck in Cleveland. You were stuck in, I'm not trying to harp on those cities as much as I'm just saying they're cold. I like, I like living in the heat. Um, so for me, like I would want to live in a warm place so I could understand somebody wanting to play in Miami or wanting to play in LA. That's where a lot of these guys live in the offseason anyway. So, you know, I just, I can understand these guys not wanting to play in certain situations. And they've got almost too many options. They grew up in that AAU age where they move from team to team constantly, and that's what they're used to. Uh, they are stimulated by multiple experiences. I think Adam Silver is dead on here. And I, I thought this was a really interesting take by him. I would love to see more studies done about this and how our culture has changed as middle, as millennials and um, you know, how that impacts player unhappiness and their uh, mobility and just the way that we interact as society, you know, it, I think it would be interesting to see if our generation is changing jobs more often for the exact same reason and changing locations more for the exact same reason. Next, we're getting into baseball. Bryce Harper signed with the Phillies for 13 years, $330 million with no trade with, with a no-trade clause and no opt-out. This is crazy. That's a that's a marriage, man. Yeah. You know, okay, so so there's another part to this too. He's gonna try to recruit um who Mike is it? Trout. Yeah, Mike Trout in twenty twenty. I mean, that's great for Philadelphia. And I don't mean the Phillies, I mean the taxpayers, because the amount of income tax I tweeted about this, like the amount of income tax that they're gonna collect. Alright, our microphones weren't working, so we just stopped. This has been headlines. This next segment is called Gut Reactions. Here's how it works. All I have in front of me are the NBA standings as of the afternoon of March 7th in front of me. I get 30 seconds per team to talk about the first thing that comes to mind about each of them. So that's 15 minutes for the whole segment. This could be about their season, their future, whatever it is. But once the 30 seconds is up, I'll move on. I'm not going to look up stats or rosters, so if I make any mistakes, just know that I'm at least being honest with the segment. I didn't want to do research or prepare for the segment in any way because I'm curious to see what comes to mind first about each of these teams rather than thinking it through and doing some research and having formed thoughts. I just wanted to trust my gut. So here's gut reactions. So I'm going to start this with the top of the Eastern Conference with the Milwaukee Bucks, who are 48-16. and 16. This doesn't surprise me at all, particularly with the development of Giannis. 
I thought that they would be much better this season because it looked like he had bulked up. But also, they had the hiring of Mike Budenholzer, who I thought would add more shots, more fluidity, and would increase their speed and um, the, the tempo of their game. And it looks like Giannis has more help this season. I'm really glad that they were able to get a deal done with uh, Eric Bledsoe, and they'll continue this as they move forward. That's all I got. All right, so next I'm going to move on to the Toronto Raptors. It looks like they're all in this season. Um, you know, I, once they made the Kawhi Leonard trade, they decided if this season doesn't work, they're going to have to go with this young core and start from the beginning. I would be really surprised if they continue to have uh, Kyle Lowry on their roster if Kawhi Leonard is to leave during the offseason, but it looks like they're going all in for a, uh, a championship appearance, and I think that's exactly what they should have done. I'm glad that they made the trade, and it looks like it's a good trade for them. All right, my next team is the Indiana Pacers, who are 42-23. and 23. Um, They're kind of in a gridlock with the 76ers and the Celtics in terms of trying to fight between the 3 and the 5 seed. This is going to be really important for them because they either face somebody like the Pistons or they're going to face the 76ers or the Celtics in the playoffs, and I think that's going to make the difference on whether or not they have a chance to win a series. So I think the biggest thing for them this season is that Miles Turner has improved tremendously as a defender. I would say that's the biggest thing for them. All right, so next team is the Philadelphia 76ers, who are 41-24. and 24. I think they've underperformed this season. I think everybody feels that way. Gosh, their point guard can't shoot. I mean, Ben Simmons handling the ball as much as he can and not being able to shoot from the three-point line is going to be a big deal for them, particularly in at the end of stretches and in big games because they have to play him. I mean, he's probably the most or second-most talented player on their team. I think that's going to be a big issue for them. So that's what comes to mind for me first with them. All right, so the Boston Celtics, who are still my prediction to win the Eastern Conference. Now, this is contingent on them getting the right seating. If they have to play the 76ers in the first round, that is going to completely wear them out. I think that's going to be an absolute bloodbath of a series. Now, if they're able to get the three seed and play against the Pistons, for example, or if they land a series against the Pacers, I think that's going to do them a lot better. But a lot of this turmoil, I think, is going to figure itself out because they have more bench depth than any other team in the NBA, including the Warriors. They have more depth. All right, so then the next team is the uh, Detroit Pistons, who are 32 and 31. Um, they have the sixth seed right now. Um, I'm really surprised that they're this high, but a lot of this has to do with the development of Blake Griffin. And I'm not talking about the development of him as a player. I'm talking about the development of him as a leader. He's been a tremendous leader this season. I've loved his quotes after games. I think he's held his team accountable, and he's played really well. He's played really hard, and he's been a good leader for this team. I've been very surprised and impressed. Okay, so the next team is the Brooklyn Nets, who are 34-33. and 33. Listen, I'm not surprised that they're going to make the playoffs. Sean Marks has put a great team together. I'm a little surprised by the development this early of D'Angelo Russell, but I've been a D'Angelo Russell believer for a long time. I think this is a good example of wait until these guys develop into an older age before you judge how good they're going to be. And also, they have a lot of good depth. Spencer Dinwiddie. All right, moving on to the Miami Heat, who are 30 and 34. That's bad. I can't believe that there's a team that's in a losing record in the Eastern Conference and still has the eighth seed, but this is what we are accustomed to in the Eastern Conference. But this doesn't surprise me that they're the eight seed just because of Eric Spolstra and the fact that they're always in good shape, um, and I mean physically. And I think that that's what helps them make these late-season runs. They're not a team I'd want to face in the first round just because they would wear me out. I think they're going to end up making the playoffs. All right, so the Orlando Magic. 
I have no idea what they were trying to do with trading Mo Bamba. The, at least they the rumors were that he was on the market. I don't quite understand that. Maybe it's because they feel like they have too many centers. I would rather have him on my roster than, for example, having to pay too much money for Vucevic. I think that Bamba is going to continue to grow, and they should mold this team in a similar fashion as the Bucks. You know, tremendous upside, a lot of length, etc. Okay, so the Charlotte Hornets, twenty nine and thirty five. Boy, I have no idea how this team is going to get any better this off season. I don't really know what they're going to do. I mean, do you give Kemba that much money, or do you just say no thanks and thank you for your service? I mean, he has completely carried this team, but at the same time, there's only so much he can do. He's just not big enough to carry a team on his own, you know, as a guard. And, um, you know, I think that's going to be a real struggle for them. I don't know if they're going to have enough cap space to do anything else. All right, so Wizards, 27-37. and 37. This has been an absolute dumpster fire, particularly with the injury to John Wall, but Bradley Beal has definitely stepped up. I think that they need to gut this team and start over. I would trade all of those assets away if I could and just try to make as much cap space as I can. It's going to be really difficult to get rid of that John Wall contract, but it's a great example of why these designated max salaries are such a big deal. All right, so moving on to the 12-seeded uh, Atlanta Hawks, 22 and 44. Man, I wouldn't expect. I didn't expect them to be this good. Actually, you know, you looked at the roster at the beginning of the season, you're like, well, they they have to be one of the worst teams in the league, right? I mean, Trey Young's going to put up a lot of shots, and he has. But the development of Kevin Herter has been very impressive. I'm very impressed by uh, the development of John Collins as well, who I predicted was going to be their best player at the beginning of the season. But I would say it's definitely Trey Young at this point. All right, so moving on to the uh, 13-seeded Bulls. Don't really know what to say here other than they should really hope that they have some ping pong balls go their way. I don't really know what they were doing with Jabari Parker. I don't know why they did it in the first place. They gave up on him pretty early. I'd love to know more about what happened there. That's really what comes to mind to me. I still believe in Zach Levine. I think that this team uh, could really build around Wendell Carter Jr. and Lowry. Uh, we'll see. All right, so moving on to the Cavaliers, who are 16-49. and 49. Listen, they've put up a little bit of a fight despite having you know, lost LeBron James, the best player in the NBA, or at least he was at the time that they lost him. You know, They're left with a lot of salary remnants of uh, the LeBron James era, but I think Kevin Love in the games that he's played, he's played well. His team's played hard. I'd love to see Seti Osman play as hard as he does. I'm, I'm very impressed by some of the things that they've done this season. All right, so moving on to the Knicks, 13-52. and 52. All I can say is... They better have a good free agency. I was really upset about their trade for um, Chris Stapps, Porzingis in exchange for cap space. I mean, who attaches their best asset for salary cap? You can tell I'm struggling to say anything positive. They show for Zion. All right, moving on to the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors. It's going to be another tough one because they're 44-20. and 20. They're going to figure it out. They're going to win the NBA championship this year. It's not even going to be close. They, uh, from what I heard, I think they're on pace to have the highest offensive rating in the history of the NBA. This doesn't surprise me at all, particularly with how well Steph Curry has played when he's been healthy um, and has been active. I'm not just going to give like the excuse of him being healthy or not. 
Um, Kevin Durant is leaving, and they're going to have a lot of problems with salary. Moving on. Okay, so the Denver Nuggets, 43-21. and 21. Wow, they've been a lot better than I expected, and I owe the Denver Nuggets fans an apology. I actually had them out of the playoffs. I was completely wrong. Wow, Nikola Jokic is really good. Jamal Murray has been tremendous. He would be uh, a, a candidate for most improved player, in my opinion. Malone has done a great job with this team. I have nothing but positive things to say about how hard they play, their depth, everything in between. They've been fantastic. Okay, so the um, the Rockets. Okay, so the Rockets are next, 39-25. and 25. Well, they've really figured things out. They've kept things afloat despite having all the injuries. James Harden has been absolutely ridiculous. He's my MVP pick right now just because I think we talked about this on headlines. Maybe it was cut out. I don't remember, but... I mean, 35 points per game is absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that they've been able to continue to win, um, I don't think they're as good as the Thunder, but I'll get to the Thunder next. But, um, you know, isolated right now, I'm very impressed with what they've been given. Okay, so the Oklahoma City Thunder, 39-25. and 25. Wow, Paul George has been great this season. He's my most improved player pick. And that's because he's barely increased minutes per game, but he's improved as a scorer, as a rebounder as a passer, particularly as a defender. And I've also been impressed with Russell Westbrook. I have I have to give him credit. He's deferred to Paul George in a way that he never has with any player in his career, and it's been very impressive. So I think they're going to be a real problem in the West, not for the Warriors, but for everybody else. All right, so moving on to the Trailblazers, who are the fifth seed. Um, they Well, actually, they're tied for third, the 39-25, and 25, along with the Rockets and the Thunder. I have a lot of problems with their offensive fluidity. It seems like they set a lot of ghost screens, which means that you set a screen, but you don't actually make contact with the man, which allow, doesn't allow the player to become open. And then Damian Lillard has to bail him out. They really need to fix that. Um, all right, so number six, the Jazz. I expect the Jazz to make the playoffs, 37-27. and 27. I know they're tied with a lot of teams right now, but they're starting to figure everything out. They have a great defensive presence with Rudy Gobert. I think Quinn Snyder's one of the best coaches in the league I think Donovan Mitchell is just having a sophomore slump to an extent and he's going to figure it out I would not want to guard him in the playoffs I think that he has the ability to be a great scoring leader for them and um, they're going to do well shout out to Joe Ingles had a great season so far as well all right so moving on to the Spurs uh, 37 and 29 it's an absolute bloodbath in the west and also this is really hard with the clock just continuously going and it's oh this is tough okay so Spurs don't need any more than, what, I got 15 seconds left? All right. They're the Spurs. They're doing Spurs things. They move the ball around a lot. Um, one thing that's been interesting is the fact that they're hitting a lot of mid-range jumpers with LaMarcus Aldrich and DeRozan and still making it work in this era of basketball. Okay, so moving on to the Clippers, who are 37-29. and 29. It's amazing that they pretty much gutted this team with that trade with Tobias Harris, and it was like they decided they weren't going to try to – make any moves for the playoffs but I mean look they're five games ahead of the Kings so they're probably gonna make the playoffs at that eight seed unless if something major happens and I I'm very impressed a big part of that trade was throwing in Landry Shamit, who's gonna be a great shooter for them and they're not gonna make much mo- uh, uh, noise in the playoffs but he's gonna be a great addition for them okay uh Sacramento Kings 32 and 32 again another team that's better than expected really surprising to see how well they've developed in just a short amount of time. Um, Marvin Bagley is going to be a great offensive player. I hope he can continue to improve as a defender. 
De'Aaron Fox has been fantastic. I think he's going to be a great player in this league. I would like to see him shoot even better than he is now. And Buddy Heald is a most improved player candidate. They have a lot of scores. Okay, moving on to the Timberwolves, 30 and 35. Wow, this team's development has been so depressing. I mean, at one point they had Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, and now they're not going to make the playoffs. I, would, I think the Lakers have more of a chance of making the playoffs. I, I just, this is just so sad to see. I mean, it looked like they had everything going for them. They had so many number one picks on their team, had a lot of upside. I hope they get it right with their coach. Okay, so the Lakers, 30 and 35. I've talked about LeBron's problems with leadership this season. So I'm not going to really focus on LeBron. I'm going to focus on some of the positives that I've seen from this young core. First of all, Brandon Ingram has played well over the last 30 games. I think this is not a fluke. This is now a large enough sample size where we can say, okay, he's going to be a really good player. Kyle Kuzma plays hard every night. Very impressed with him. I've been impressed with uh, Josh Hart and his ability to fit in. I'd like to see more from Lonzo Ball. All right, so moving on to the Pelicans, who are the 12th seed, I guess you would call them. Uh, 30 and 37. They've dealt with a lot this season. I feel bad for their front office, but I like the direction they're going in. Danny Ferry is a great executive, and they actually have a lot of people who are really smart in that front office. There's a lot of people that I know personally in that front office who are some of the smartest basketball minds that I know in the NBA. A lot of young guys. Um, I think that they're going to figure this all out. All right, so moving on to the Dallas Mavericks. And what a trade they made. I know I... Um, complained about the Knicks giving away their best asset in a cap dump. I can't believe that the Mavericks were on the other side of this. All they had to do is give up Dennis Smith Jr. and they got Chris Dapps Porzingis. I mean, to compare him with Luka Doncic, they've got a great future. Don't even worry about those picks because they don't really even utilize their draft picks anyway. So that's all I got for them. All right, so moving on to the Grizzlies, who are 26-40. and 40. Part of me wishes they were a little worse than they are just because it would be nice to see them get a really high pick because they're really not that far from being a really good team. I mean, I've liked what I've seen so far from Jaron Jackson Jr. I love his length. I love his size. I think he's going to develop really well. He looks a lot older than he is, especially because he's so strong. Um, You know, I know that they're going to have to get rid of Conley at some point just because he's worth too much money and they're going to try to rebuild, but um, they have a good future. They're going to be okay. All right, so then the last team is the Phoenix Suns, who are 15-51. and 51. That is not good, particularly with the amount of young assets that they have. They should be winning more games than that. 15 games in one season is absolutely horrific, and it's kind of disturbing. Um, I expected them to be a little better than this. They should have picked Luka Doncic. I don't know why they didn't. I thought that would have been a great addition for them. I thought that then. I thought it was an obvious number one pick. They didn't pick it. So, well, I don't know. All right. So that was Gut Reactions, which was the hardest segment I've done so far. That was really difficult, especially with the clock running. But now I just want to really quickly get into my All-NBA first, second, and third teams, as well as my award picks for the season. Season's almost over, but um, it has some time left. But I, I just wanted to discuss this a little bit. Um, briefly, and then, you know, at the end of the season, I'll talk about who I would vote at the end of the season and see if it's changed at all. My All-NBA first team would be for guards, I'd have Steph Curry and James Harden, my forwards, Paul George and Giannis, and my center, Joel Embiid. The only thing I might change would be for center, Nikola Jokic, just because the team has been, uh, the Nuggets have been fighting for the one seed, 
and they don't have really any all-stars, so this would be their only chance to have like an all-NBA guy, and it would make a lot of sense that Jokic, the way he's played this season and, and carried that team, it would make sense to have him an all-NBA first team, and, and the 76ers have underperformed as a team, even though Joel Embiid's numbers have been absolutely ridiculous, particularly his scoring numbers, so... Um, right now I have Joel Embiid first just because his statistics individually are better and it's an individualistic award, um, to be on the All-NBA first team. And it has a lot of, um, importance in terms of contracts. There's a lot of incentives and contracts about making different All-NBA teams. So I take it really seriously and I try to make it an individualistic award rather than rewarding team success, because I think there are plenty of team success type awards and, um, you know, ways to commend players for, you know, their overall team performance. But individually, I would have Joel Embiid as my center. Okay, so All-NBA second team, uh, my guards are Damian Lillard and Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker's going to be a little bit of a uh, surprise for people. I think a lot of people would have Russell Westbrook, but I have Kemba Walker. I just think that he's done so much for that team, and he has very little to work with. I think their second leading scorer is Lamb, I, I-, I think. I mean... He's, he's uh, especially at the beginning of the season, he was carrying a large scoring load for them. He had a 60-point game this season. He's played absolutely out of his mind, and um, he's really shown that he's he's a max player. Maybe not for them, but for somebody. Um, my forwards are Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic. So I already talked about Nikola Jokic, and it's kind of weird to see Kevin Durant here on the second team, but I mean, I certainly don't have him first team because I'm not moving Paul George, and I'm not moving Giannis, so... You know, he's had a really good season, but I mean, it's just a really tough season for guards, or excuse me, for forwards, and it usually is for wings, but um, particularly this season. All right, so All-NBA third team, Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving are my guards. I'm willing to be flexible on Kyrie Irving, um, but Russell Westbrook, I've been really impressed with his ability to defer to Paul George. It's Paul George's team now, but I mean, Russell Westbrook is continuously putting up the same numbers that he always puts up. You can't argue that he doesn't play hard every game because he does. He plays harder than any player in the NBA. So, got to commend him for that. His stats are really good, too. Uh, I have Kyrie Irving at the other guard. I mean, I know he's done a lot of isolation and their team hasn't played very well. But, again, I said this is an individualistic award. And he's been a good scorer. Um, I'd like to see more from him defensively. But, you know, he's a very capable defender. He's one of the most talented players in the league. He's played well enough this year to be on an all-NBA team. All right, so then LeBron James, I have him as my first forward. It's weird to see him on the third team. He's lucky to be on any of these teams at all right now, the way he's been playing and the amount of time that he missed. I have him there right now, but he'd be one of the guys I'd be willing to move if you know he sits early at the end of the season. He just wouldn't have played enough games to be on an All-NBA team, which would be amazing looking back, a season of LeBron James not being on the All-NBA team. just blows my mind. I have Blake Griffin as my other forward feel really good about this. I know a lot of people wouldn't have this, but um, he's had an absolutely amazing season as a leader, like I said, during my uh, gut reactions, but he's scored well. He was one of those first-month MVP candidates. You know, we always have those that are strange, like Kemba Walker is one of those. I think Kyle Lowry at one point was, like, one of the best-performing players early on in the season, but, you know, throughout the season, he still continued to play well. He's had some great moments late in games, and my center is Anthony Davis, but I am very flexible on this one as well. Um, you know, Montrell Harrell might be somebody I might consider, even though he's a six-man. I, I don't know. Um, do you have any other ideas on centers? Vucevic. 
Vucevic, that would that would be a good one. I, you know, I'm sitting here looking at Anthony Davis, and he's had great statistics, but he's being held out of fourth quarters and things like that. I think if that continues through the end of the season, I might have Vucevic instead of Anthony Davis. All right, so player of the year, James Harden. I've talked about that in depth on this podcast. Defensive player of the year, Paul George. Seriously, who would you rather have you have guard you than Paul George? I mean, this is such a, like— rim protector award i don't understand why they don't give it to guards who are really good at guarding you know um out on the perimeter i know they've, they've given it to Kawhi, but it seems like they're constantly giving it to rim protectors I, I think in terms of defensive player of the year this should be paul george's award i consider him the best player um defensively in the league right now sixth man of the year montrell harrell he's been great coming off the bench the clippers have been fantastic this season uh given what they have I think I remember looking at the roster at the beginning of the year and thinking, wow, this team has a lot of NBA guys. Like, they don't have a lot of top-level guys, but they've got a lot of NBA guys. And he's one of the great discounts for his production in the league. I think he only makes somewhere between 5 and $8 million a year, which is really good for the production he gives. Most improved player, Paul George. Seriously, go look up his, his improvement in points, rebounding, assists. Analytically, he hasn't improved in minutes very much, but he's improved in everything else. So he's barely playing any more minutes, but he's improved everywhere else. And it doesn't make any sense to me that we always give it to a player like that we didn't expect to be good and then they're all of a sudden good. Like, why don't we give it to a player who's improved the most? The same argument I had for Steph Curry in his second MVP season. Like, he was so much better in his second MVP season, as opposed to his first NBA or MVP season, that like he improved more than any other player because that was one of the greatest seasons in the history of the NBA. Same way I feel about Paul George in that that sense, where like, yeah, he was an All Star last season, but this season he's improved so much, especially because I think he had a little bit of a rough ending to last season. I mean, not just a little bit. I mean, he had a very rough last game against the Jazz. And he completely improved, particularly defensively. I mean, he's a superstar in this league. He's on that level now. Coach of the year. I keep fighting between Mike Budenholzer and Mike Malone. I'll probably end up going with Malone. I think it would make sense just because I expected the Bucks to be this good. I did not expect the Nuggets to be this good. And I guess that's the exact opposite of what I just said about the Most Improved Player Award where you're giving it to not the best coach, but the most surprising coach, which is the way that the award is usually given. I'm kind of falling into my own trap here. But I will say this. Mike Malone has dealt with a team that has a lot of depth, very similarly to Brad Stevens, but he's able to make it work. They play really hard every single night. They've been amazing defensively. It'd be hard not to give him that award. But the argument for Mike Budenholzer would be the amount of shots that they're able to get up this season as opposed to the Bucks last season, I mean, man, breaking all these three-point records and stuff, it's not something I expected from that team. But I think a lot of it has to do with the development of Giannis and his ability to distribute. But also, a lot of credit needs to go to Mike Budenholzer. I think he's changed the culture of that locker room, and he's changed the entire strategy that the team follows. So, executive of the year, I have two. It's Tim Connolly, but also... Um, I want to make sure I pronounce his name right. It's Arturis Karnasovis. They're both you know, executives for the Nuggets. And I want to make sure they both get credit because 
you know, executive of the year always goes to the guy who's in charge, but I think at the same time, we need to give credit to larger parts of the staff because I know that both of them have had tremendous input on what this team has done, the way they've been built. This award for executive of the year needs to go to teams once they are successfully built in the way that that executive has tried to build them, if that makes any sense. Like, they've been building this way for a number of years. They've been drafting well for a number of years, and now it's finally coming to fruition, and now they're the number one seed. I don't know what they're going to do in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of noise, but they're one of the strongest teams moving forward for the next few years, and that's all thanks to Tim Connolly and Arturis uh, Karnasovas, and I think that they need to lock them down for, for a long time because they've shown that they have an ability to really build a good team, and uh, they have a lot of players with great upside, and I really trust them to make the right moves going forward. All right, so we're going to cut the Carver Johnny podcast a little short today without having a top five list or a 2K review, but we will next week. Once Kyle and I get back from our spring break, I'm going home to Kansas, Kyle's going home to New York, and I have a project due, and I just don't have time to finish up this podcast and do anything more. So this is what we've got. Everybody said that they wanted it to be shorter, so I think an hour and nine minutes or so is is pretty good. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Our next week's top five, I will tell you what it is right now. It is top five movies of all time, in your opinion, your top five movies favorite movies so if you want to give me a shout out at carver johnny and tell me what your favorite movies are after you listen to this podcast go ahead and let me know thank you for listening today this has been the third episode of the carver johnny podcast brought to you by at underscore merlin ethan merlin we will have you on the podcast as soon as we figure out how to hook up a phone call to a podcast and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and some of the segments that we put together And thank you for putting up with the choppiness of the um, headlines, particularly because we were having some microphone issues. So see you guys next week.